Hi, and welcome to episode two of In the Odd at MSU, a behind-the-scenes look at the Michigan State University Department of Theater's productions and special projects. I am your host, Abby Taikaki. The Department of Theater has over eight different performance venues on campus, a black box, a proscenium, a thrust, multiple studios, a concert auditorium, and even an outdoor courtyard used for our summer circle theater productions. Most of these spaces, along with the classroom and design labs, are housed in the historic Michigan State University Auditorium building. A crazy amount of experiential learning and creativity has occurred within the walls of the auditorium's gorgeous Gothic-inspired pointed arches, oak paneling, and marble floors. But, as is often the case in the performing arts, the audiences only see the finished product. This podcast serves to shine a light on how the faculty and staff at the MSU Department of Theater are training future practitioners of the performing arts to challenge and redefine traditional theater as an artistic response to an ever-changing world. A look at what happens in the odd. So the next big project to tread the boards is William Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. It opens Friday, November 8 in the Arena Theater, which is the black box theater housed directly in the auditorium. And my guests today are director Gus Kaikonen, actor Isabel, Rod- I'm sorry, Isa Rodriguez, <laughs> who plays Viola, and composer Trevor Smith. Welcome to all three of you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. So Trevor is a student of music composition, correct, at yep. the College of Music, and he's composing original music for the production. We're going to hear more about his process and hear some of the music a bit later on. But to start, I'd like to first welcome Gus back to the Lansing area. Thank you, Abby. Some listeners may know that Gus, uh, from his days at the Boar's Head Theater, prior to its closing in 2010, the Boar's Head Theater was mid-Michigan's oldest professional resident theater, and in its 43 years of business, Gus directed, acted in, and wrote over a dozen Boar's Head shows, I think. Um, For the past 25 years, however, he's been artistic director of the Petersboro Players... Playhouse players. Peterborough. Peterborough. Players. No, ah, no S. Peterborough players. Playhouse. Peterborough no playhouse. playhouse. Players. <laughs> Peterborough players. Th- that's been the name since the it it opened in 1933 and it was called Our Playhouse, and oh, then wow. two years later they changed it to the Peterborough Players. Peterborough. And players. it is a beloved name. In the area, so. Yes, and that area is New Hampshire. It, the Monadnock region of, of southern New Hampshire. Right? Awesome. Very cool. And now he's returned to Michigan for a bit as a guest director and teaching artist, and he's leading a classical acting course this semester. Um, and Isa is a student in that course. So, Gus, could you start by telling us a bit about what you've been teaching in your classical acting course and how that transitions then over into your production of Twelfth Night? Um, it's a course I, I love to teach. I, I, I developed it um, because it, in a short time, in a what amounts to a quarter really, um, I can give the students technical knowledge of um, performing verse work, uh, Shakespeare, and, um, and it's something I hope they will be able to keep with them for the rest of their lives. It, it, uh, I, I was I was very fortunate when I was their age to uh, work for a couple of years with a, a voice teacher in um, out of Juilliard named Robert Neff Williams, who I think is the in my book was the best voice teacher there ever was. He was very strict and very and everyone always called him Mr. Williams. No one ever called him Robert, and um, and he simply made me aware of 
the noises I was making when I spoke, which I wasn't aware of, having even though I'd been acting for over 10 years because I started when I was a kid. We don't, we don't really hear what we're doing. He made me understand that speaking is an athletic event and that um, you have to train for it the same way you would train for gymnastics or any kind of sporting event, except it all takes place inside your mouth. Um, and then the other side of what I'm trying to teach them, and I think I'm successfully teaching someone. <laughs> Issa's nodding, so that's a good feeling. Um, is uh, I learned from Patrick Tucker, who was my first entry into first folio work uh, with Shakespeare, which is a theory of, of teaching um, Shakespeare in performance that goes back to the original texts and the clues that are in the original text and the punctuation and the capitalization and, uh, and just the purpose of verse, what, what verse allows you to be able to do. Um, so the, the final result is a very natural product, but you have a lot of ammunition in your brain for understanding how to, how to perform it. When we uh, were talking uh, earlier, you had mentioned that a lot of the students in the course have never, um, haven't had any or very little experience with Shakespeare. And, and you gave me some great examples of the, the difference of hearing your Midwest accent, you know, the importance of keeping that accent in your repertoire, right. but of learning to hear yourself and to be able to vocalize differently. When, when actors my age were trained, we were taught to drop the way we naturally spoke and learn to speak a new way, which I think is a big error um, because I learned after a couple of years in New York going to auditions that I went in with my mid-Atlantic speech and after I was finished with my audition, the director would invariably say, that was very good. Where are you from? And I would say, Michigan. And they would say, no, no, originally, what country are you from? <laughs> and I would realize I was not getting cast in this American play because... I no longer sounded like an American. So then I had to go back and work with some coaches to try to sound more like <laughs> I came from this country again, like, you know, to speak the way I spoke originally when I first grew up so I could get cast in a play um, that wasn't a classical play. Uh, but uh, so I had the skills. I just didn't know the politics of it. I didn't, I, you know, yeah. I was stupid and didn't realize that they actually want people to sound like where the characters might actually be coming from. Um, so, right, yes. Which makes sense. So I, tell, I start by saying, hold on to your natural accent. That will get you work. Don't lose it. Keep that in your pocket or continue to talk that way all the time. But be aware of how you're talking so that if you want to change that, it should be in your skill set as an actor. Fantastic. I've also heard you say that iambic pentameter is our friend. Can you iambic speak a pentameter bit about that? is not only your friend, it's like it's something you can you you get on top of the iambic pentameter and it will carry you down the mountain. You, it, it, often an actor who who ignores the pentameter and is trying to perform Shakespeare feels like they're pushing a like Sisyphus pushing this rock up a hill and they're never going to get there. But if you get on top of the pentameter and let it carry you along, you, you feel like you're skiing downhill on the perfect day, on the perfect slope, and um, it, it carries you, the rhythm of the pentameter carries you along, and um, it's, a, it's a magical feeling, I think. So is it fair to say, if anyone has ever seen a, a Shakespeare play or maybe even a movie and walked away going, I don't even understand what they're saying, is that because those actors have not let, have not let the iambic pentameter help them? 
Often that is true, yes. Fantastic. You will, you will see um, a mixture of actors in Shakespearean, in films of, Shake, of Shakespeare, some who understand the pentameter and have and seem very clear, and some who don't, and just look like they're fighting the language. No matter how big the emotional performance is under the language, they, they, they're stumbling and, and uh, awkward, yes. Yeah. So the goal here with teaching these students to find their Shakespearean voice and then translate to the stage. This is your fourth 12th night? Well, no, I think it's Six. my sixth, Six. actually. <laughs> I played Malvolio, I played Sebastian, I played Antonio. I produced the play once and I've directed it twice before this. Um, and f when I played Antonio, I had not a clue what I was doing. <laughs> and, uh, and it was after that that I got to work with um, Mr. Williams and um, he opened a door. That's fantastic. So what's the, your experience of putting together this 12th night been like working with the MSU students? When I, I, they brought me out in April so I could um, cast the show. You know, the, all the directors for the fall shows have auditions and then we all fight over who gets to have who and <laughs> we cry and we beg and we plead and we barter. And Ooh, say, sounds oh, like a play, good reality show. Oh, the play won't work. Yes, it would be a good reality <laughs> show. It's like Big Brother, except it's like, no, if I don't have her, the show won't work, you know. All right, you can have her, but I'm getting this one. You know, it does mm -hmm. go on like that. And it's like that anywhere you go if, in, a, in a situation like this. I was really impressed by the level of talent here. Um, when I got here in April, um, both the undergrad and the grad students are, are very capable and very, uh, uh, I don't, whoever, if it's Kirk who's recruiting people, if it's Derek, I don't know who's recruiting people, but whoever's <laughs> recruiting them is doing a very good job Yay, and has a very good job. shout out to the recruiters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the grad students are terrific. And, um, you know, the, the program is very interesting because they, they form a company and then they are here for three years, the grad st students in the acting program of the theater department. And they're here together for three years. And there are no other grad students but them for three years. And then after their third year, they go away and a new group comes for three years. So they really do f uh, form a bond. And uh, this, this little happy army of grad students seems uh, works together very, very well. Um, that's fantastic. And you have a, a graduate student that is assisting you with the class? Uh, yeah. Eloy is my, uh, T, uh, my T, TA. Yeah, I'm, mm -hmm. uh, and he's, he's been very helpful there. And he's also in uh, Toth Night playing Antonio, the part that I had no idea how to play. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you have no idea how to play it, I have to ask? Uh, having, when you've never done Shakespeare and you're looking at the verse, you don't know what it's for. You don't know why. You, you know, you're trying to put the techniques that you've learned your you know sense sense recall and and emotional life and everything but you, you but you're fighting this language which is really your friend but no one has explained to you why it's your friend even if you they have someone there who's saying no you know you're breaking the pentameter you know your teeth go on edge and you're like so what i'm breaking the pentameter nobody said that to me when i was doing an arthur miller play what, what, <laughs> yeah. what, what's the i don't understand and then eventually the, it actually, you know, I say this often and, and people don't understand, but it is like rap. You set up this rhythm, which is completely sub subliminal, and it gives you a superpower. You know, the audience can't figure out how you're doing what you're doing, because they don't hear the rhythm uh, uh, in the front of their brain. They hear it in the, you know, in their brain stem. And, and um, 
And then if you vary that rhythm, it, that word that you use to vary that rhythm goes through their ears and into their brain. And it also breaks up the, um, it breaks up the language into manageable nuggets, which again, don't sound like nuggets, but it's like, oh, I just have to understand that bit of pentameter. And then I have to understand that bit of pentameter. And then, I, and so um, it, it isn't too much information. It's already broken down into the right amount of information for your brain to accept, except none of that occurs to you as you're listening to it. It, it's just, it's... Um, it's kind of it's magic, a, isn't it's it? It's a really good system. It's a way Shakespeare had of, of making his plays, it's a terrible word, but actor-proof. So that, you know, <laughs> if the actors were un under-rehearsed or whatever, they could just rely on their techniques mm -hmm. and the play would still work. That's awesome. I was once taught that if I was in Shakespeare, which I've never been, and that I went up on a line, that I should just say... Alas, I know not what to say, but more of this anon, I must away and leave the stage to get my line and come back. That's perfect. <laughs> and I've always wanted to do that. Yeah, I was on a stage once. <laughs> Noted. With a, I was on stage once in a Shakespeare piece with a Southern actress who was quite wonderful, and someone didn't make their entrance, and she turned to me and said, "Let's in, honey." <laughs> and we left the stage. That's amazing. So, Isa, you're playing the role of Viola, which is um, mm -hmm. one of Shakespeare's best female roles, but it's it's not as well known as, say, Beatrice or Juliet. What has been your process in discovering Viola uh, within the context of this production? And also, what about her is, uh, is a role in the spirit of our season of invention and reinvention that would make 2019 audiences connect with her? Yeah, so I think the coolest thing about working with Viola is that I never thought about her character the way that Gus um, kind of helped me think about her as. Um, so the very first scene where you see Viola, she's surrounded by like a bunch of sailors um, and that's where the play's beginning. And Gus told me um, that the sailors are actually kind of looking at her funny and they're like, oh my God, there's this beautiful girl on the sand lying there. And um, I actually get the idea to dress up as a man to protect myself. Um, and that is kind of the driving force for the rest of the play. That's why I have to hide myself um, so that I can protect myself from the scary men on the sand and um, what I'm afraid that I might encounter without my brother there. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. It, it is a very cool character because Shakespeare wrote her to be a pretty strong woman. Um, and then she, she, throughout the play, encounters Olivia, who is another really strong-headed um, woman and it's kind of like the fight of control between the two of them of who's in control of the situation and um, and yeah so it's, it's kind of like a fight for power and a fight of protecting herself. So it sounds like a real exploration of, of gender roles and gender yeah. identity. Yeah which is cool with the reinvention theme of our scene of, of our season season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Um, have you done any uh, work with yourself or dramaturgically, if that's a word, um, <laughs> just in terms of, of thinking of those themes in present day versus Shakespeare's day? Well, um, I guess it just kind of boils down to, you know, back in the day. <laughs> um, it was pretty scary to be a woman on 
on your own. And I think that that's something that we're all working pretty hard to eliminate mm -hmm. in today's day. Right. Which is because it's still pretty scary to yeah, be a woman on your own. It can today. be. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, especially being a college student at MSU, you rely on yourself and your friends and calling your parents at home to make sure you feel safe. But you are on your own. And so you kind of have to build yourself up to be a strong person, especially when you're a 20 year old girl. So it, it is cool stepping into Viola's shoes because in a way I feel like any girl can relate to her. That's so. awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we'll turn now to uh, Trevor. The one of these things is not like the other in the room. <laughs> so you're uh, from the, so this is a collaboration between yeah. the College of Arts and Letters and the College of Music, which is exciting. How did you even get tapped for this project and what, how, how did the creative process begin? So, yeah, I come from a totally different world. I don't have a ton of experience with dramatic music and theater and dramatic works, but as a percussionist, I've played in those more than wrote for them. And then actually last year, I studied under Dr. Uh, Alexis Bacon, and she's the one that worked on the music in Shark, the musical that was yeah. last year, yeah. right? So I was in lessons around her writing a little bit of that and talking about it a little bit, although this is a little bit of a different process because Shakespeare already wrote the words. I don't need to, you know, come up with the words for the songs and Oh, everything. so the lyrics of the songs yeah. are from the text. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I didn't know that. Yeah, they're actually from the text, so I, I took care of the music, and, and it's a different... It's, it's, it's hard in its own way. But, but the way I um, got into the project was Daniel Jaworski being in my class uh, last year for the music for non-majors. Um, and you know he stuck out as a student who was really interested in electronic music, and we got into a lot of interesting conversations about music. Um, and he had, a, he had some experience there. Uh, so at the end of the semester, he came up to me and just asked, like, you know, they're looking for a composer to do this. And, and I really wanted to do it because I've been in the world of concert music and and it's really fun and interesting to me and everything but there are some um the ideas that you have to have in concert music to you know put something forward or something like that it's totally different from working in theater and in in this project i could say i just want to write a good song you know what i mean like i don't i don't want to have this out there concept i don't want to do anything too weird i just want to work the muscles of writing a good song and, and so that was something that attracted me to the idea of working with theater. And then from there, I could go into the really intricate moments of the harmony and stuff and, and try to do some text painting. Like if the words are doing something, then I can, I can do something with the harmony or the, the range to bring out some of the, the text. Wow. But, but that's how I got into it, yeah. Awesome. And did you uh, have any conversations with Gus between the two of you in terms of direction? Or? There was one really helpful thing in an email that you sent, which was... Not so much period, but more about the story. And this is really going into the underscoring because I wrote the songs a little bit separately from that. I mean, the, the songs, they were a lot of fun to work on, but once they were done, I could take some of the melodies from that. You know, when we listen to the song, um, the very opening melody of Oh Mistress Mine, that's going to actually become the, the theme for some of the transitions between scenes where those characters are actually active. And, and so there's going to be like this reminiscence of the story in the background, rather than worrying about it being period-specific instruments, uh, worrying more about the themes actually being connecting story tissue and stuff like that. So it has a feeling of the period, mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so you didn't want it to be too focused, and you know that's the main point. You didn't want it to really be that, but but we I still said you, you don't have to observe the rules. Exactly, you just have to give the feeling. 
Yeah, exactly. And it was funny with the ukulele. <laughs> when I when I heard that the instrumentation was going to be a ukulele and then sometimes a clarinet or a violin, at first I was kind of worried. It actually ended up being just fine. Yeah. Sounds like a period lute almost. And what you have to avoid is doing certain rhythms, right? I mean, if you're doing a bunch of upstrokes and downstrokes on the ukulele, you get those dancier rhythms. Mm -hmm. But if you just do long strumming the chords, it sounds just like a period lute. That's yeah. fairly cool. Yeah. And, uh, Issa, have, I don't know at what, what point you guys are at in the rehearsal process, but have you have had an opportunity to work with the music throughout, or is that something that yeah. gets added in later? Well, Claire has been um, playing her ukulele almost since the first week or so of rehearsal, and it really ties the rehearsals together. Like, getting to hear the music, you um, get to experiment with what it makes, how it affects the rest of the people on stage, and it's been really cool. The music adds so much to the script oh, it's amazing awesome. right yeah. yeah yeah sort of the the you know you see a movie and if you just watch it without yeah. any of the the music or the sound you know it's a right. totally different experience so to mm -hmm. sort of set the set the place set the yeah. time set the feeling of that moment in the show it's probably one of the coolest things about Shakespeare is that he doesn't forget about the music and the dancing. He definitely put it in there. That's right. That's yeah. really cool. And the fights. And oh, the yeah. Fights. There are sword fights and there are songs and there yeah. is dance. Sword fights and song and dance. Come see Twelfth Night. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when I was young and, and, and first experienced Twelfth Night, when, you know, playing Antonio, I was like, what, what we Americans are all about, oh, we invented the musical theater. Well, here, here's this play from... 1600 that has at least four full songs in it and then other songs are suggested you know it says here a catches mm -hmm. song um i'm like I, I think there were shows that had songs in them before <laughs> a trip to chinatown <laughs> or showboat oh but my gosh. it's really interesting working with the text already being there because now the the burden's a little relieved on me to not have to make the connections as strongly as possible because the connection is there between the characters. My job is through the, the melody and the harmony to make sure that certain things are popping out and that the most important part between the relationship of the characters is coming out in the music. And so there's a little bit of expression I can really get away with um, underneath the text, but yeah, it, it's totally different than what I've done before. That's very cool. Yeah. So you you brought us um, a, a recording of one of the songs that mm -hmm. you've composed the music for, and the lyrics are Shakespeare's yep. text, and the performer is uh, Claire. What is Claire's last name? Wilcher. Claire Wilcher playing playing the yeah. ukulele and singing. Um, so set up the context. What is where's where does this happen in the show, and what are we what is she singing about? Well, one thing I really want to point out about the song is um, is the beginning with the Oh Mistress or. or trying to remember the beginning lyrics now. I just came Oh, Mistress from, Mine, yeah. where are you roaming? Oh, Mistress Mine, where are you roaming? Yeah, so it starts with kind of like a calling um, calling kind of gesture. And I also want to point out, this is a very uh, right-in-your-face kind of form of text painting, having the high and the low, the actual text being the highest and the lowest notes in the song. Nice. The, you know, yeah, the low is not quite the um, lowest note in the song, but, but it has this kind of falling gesture to it. But what I did also with when she says low, the same part in the next uh, stanza on that same chord is the word unsure. And so to prepare for that, uh, I used a chord that has one note out of key in a very expressive, colorful way, so that after she sings the high and low, and then the next time it comes back and says unsure, that chord actually is highlighted again, even though the melodic function to bring out those words is not the same, 
there's a new function in the word that is still brought out in the harmony. Oh, so that's that was, so cool. That was one thing that I wanted to get with, with that. So, yeah. Awesome. And that, that was for uh, the Duke, right? The Fessy was singing to the Duke at this point. No, no. Um, Fessy's singing to Toby on Oh, Mr. To Sir Toby. Okay. She, she's, Fessy has been, uh, Fessy's being played by Claire, so we have a woman playing Fessy in this production. And Fessy has been sort of matchmaking. She, she wants Sir Toby and Mariah to get together as a couple. And she's been encouraging that. And in this song, she's singing to Toby. And what she's basically saying is, yeah, you're having a great time partying, but your youth is going to disappear and you're going to be alone. So don't let your mistress mine keep roaming. (laughs) Have her come and stay with you or you'll be alone is what, you know, subliminally she's singing to Toby. Right. The Duke was come away death. That was the one. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, let's, let's take a listen to it. Oh, mistress mine, where are you roaming? Stay and hear your true love's coming that can sing both high and low. Trip no further, pretty sweeting, journeys ending, lovers meeting, every wise man's son doth know. What is love? Tis not hereafter. Present mirth hath present laughter. What's to come is still unsure. In delay there lies no plenty. Come and kiss me, sweet and twenty. You'd soft will not A sweet composition. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for pointing out the the cool mo- you know moments and how you use the chords for the, the yeah, highs and yeah. lows because I definitely wouldn't have been listening to that otherwise. But it's, it was it's kind of like it's kind of like what you were talking about with the iambic pentameter. You really just feel it in your brainstem kind of thing. Uh, you know, I don't think the audience is going to go, oh, that chord that has a weird note in it, right? They will now because they heard. This well, now they will. <laughs> but I think um, when I was talking about working in concert music and. You know, sometimes you want to have like strange ideas and you want to like really bring that out. If I just take a molecule of that and apply it to trying to just write a good song, then that's where you can kind of find the text painting. That's where those two things meet, I think, is how I try to look at it. Yeah. yeah. And it's how music uh, affects you emotionally. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't affect you emotionally in the front of your brain. It affects you emotionally in the back end of your brain somehow, you know? Right, right. Like you could talk about all the theory in the world, but it's really not what's going on. It's just you're just feeling it, right? And what is the genre of that composition? Is it madrigal or? Uh, I was just thinking something just like whatever. It's Smithian. <laughs> Smithian. Uh, uh, <laughs> I I'm like just that. Thinking song. <laughs> we have just coined that term. It is Smithian. You've heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Smithian. Yeah, I was just thinking song. Um, yeah, I actually I have a ukulele. It worked out really good, so I could just sit down and once this was weird. Sometimes you write the words first, and sometimes you write the chords first. Again, the the words are already there, but I guess I mean melody versus mm-hmm. chords. Uh, with this, I would write like two chords with two lines of melody and, and feel out if I liked that and see if the direction was going in the right way. And then once it did, it just kind of took off. But That's fantastic. Yeah. The, the, uh, the rhyme scheme was strange for me on this one because there's that part where it gets soft and it has the two lines kind of fit in. It's A-A-B-C-C-B, I think, is the rhyme scheme. So that was strange to work with, but, but I compensated for that by having that soft moment for the C, the two lines of the C rhyming. So, so yeah, that's... That's how that went. Wow. 
That was really cool. I would love to like hear all the music and, and have this conversation with you about every single one of them just to learn more about the process behind all of this. It's, Thank you. It's not something we get to dive into a lot in the theater, in the odd. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so let's um, wrap things up here. Does anybody just, what are you hoping your audiences take away from this production? A love for Twelfth Night. Yeah. I, I really have become very, very fond of this play, and um, I think it has good things to say about the about human nature and about uh, optimism, things working out. It's a play that you know, Shakespeare wrote it. Uh, it's a play about a set of twins, Viola and Sebastian, who are shipwrecked, and each of them think the other one has drowned. And um, Shakespeare had a set of twins, his children, um, and the boy died in 1596. Mm. And the great thing about being an artist is that we can use the terrible things that happen to us in our art and turn them into positive things. And in Twelfth Night, he's sort of writing his son back to life. That's and, um, and so the play begins in sadness and ends in joy, and it's a, it's a good metaphor for today. Mm -hmm. Yes, and sounds like something maybe we all need. Um, Issa, as... Have, have, is this your first experience? It is my first Shakespeare. Yeah. How is, is that going to be, obviously going to be something that you carry with you for the rest of your life? Yeah. Talk I mean, more about that. something that Gus was saying, he's right. Not a lot of Shakespeare professors, or even like if you're trying to learn it on your own, not a lot of the information will tell you really why you're using the iambic pentameter. And that's something that I've gotten like a fast five-week crash course through the classical acting class and also through rehearsal. But I just had never really understand it, understood it until this point. Like I, I just didn't get why we had to use the pentameter. And I was like, why use first folio when you can just use an edited version that everybody will understand today? But it is, it's so real that you know, Shakespeare wrote it that way for a reason. And the text does give you clues and hints as to as to why specific words are capitalized or why specific moments in the play are in verse. It's because another metaphor that Gus has used is um, it's kind of like musical theater. Like when the emotion is too much or words can't explain what you're feeling, you jump into song and everybody's like, oh my gosh, it's it's beautiful. And it's the same way that you were talking about composition. Nobody's listening to the music. They're just like, oh my God, the message is so meaningful. Yep. It's kind of the same thing with verse. And the second that it clicked in my head, it made me fall in love with Shakespeare. And so hopefully <laughs> also everybody else that's watching the play really appreciates the fact that we're doing first folio. We're doing it, you know, traditional. Um, we're not cutting any of the scenes. Um, so yeah, I just hope everybody has fun. It's a really good play. And awesome. Shakespeare's awesome. So <laughs> there you have it, listeners. Come see MSU's production of Twelfth Night and watch these student actors fall in love with Shakespeare for the first time. Sorry, I just choked myself up because that was just oh. beautiful. Like I, <laughs> I get excited you, about that stuff. Yeah. Um, so MSU's Department of Theater production of William Shakespeare's Twelfth Night runs November 8th through 17th in the Arena Theater in the basement of the auditorium. Tickets are on sale now at wartoncenter.com, at the Wharton Center box office, by calling 1-800-WHARTON or at the door. I would like to say a special thanks to Gus and Issa and Trevor for being my guests today for our second episode. Special thank you also to Daniel Trago, our sound engineer. <laughs> also to Kirk Domer, chairperson of the Department of Theater, Ryan Kilcoyne, and Dean Christopher Long from the College of Arts and Letters for, for supporting this project. 
Project. And I, again, am Abby Taikaki. This has been In the Odd, a Michigan State University College of Arts and Letters podcast. You can learn more about all of the Department of Theater productions and special projects at theater.msu.edu. And I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another behind-the-scenes look into what happens at 542 Auditorium Road in East Lansing, Michigan. Until then, support your local performing arts and go green. Go white. <laughs>